right. So here we go. Eight keys to victorious living. We continue in our series this morning about victorious living. We know that John 4.24 says that God is a spirit, but God also created you to live in this three-dimensional world. And though you are also a spirit, God gives us very practical ways and practical keys to live everyday life. You know, though we are spirits, we are still in these bodies and we're not to, you know, we're not ones who float around every day oblivious to the problems of society and what's going on in our world. No, we live. We're not of the world, but we are certainly in it. Come on, somebody. We are certainly in the world. And so because of that, God gives us these very practical keys for everyday living, spiritual living with a practical purpose. Amen. And uh, he gives us these surefire principles to live by. And if we would live by these principles, as you'll see here in a moment, he says, you'll never fall. You'll never fail. You'll never stumble. You know, the enemy comes to what? Steal. What else? What else? Destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and more abundantly. That's the way he is. God's about multiplication. He's about over and above, over and above, you know, over and beyond, you know. And when that gets in you, you just can't help it. I was um, thinking about, uh, I was going to the airport a few few weeks ago, a couple months ago, actually. And, uh, you know, Dietra and I were, uh, she was taking me to the airport, but I was driving to the airport. And when you get uh, into the airport and get up close to the terminal, the speed limit goes down to 30. So, you know, you're kind of coming off the highway, and then the speed limit goes down to 45, and it goes down to 30. Well, the speed limit went down to 30, but I didn't go down to 30. So it's just, you know, those two things didn't match up. One on this side and one was on the other side. They didn't come together. So the airport police, you know, pulled me over as I got close to the terminal. And uh, he said, you know, did you, did you see the big sign way back there that said, uh, that, you know, you're going to have to slow down? I said, I, I think I saw that. He said, did you see the other three signs? That said 30 miles an hour. I said, I, I, think, I, think, I think I saw that. So, you know, he took my license and everything, and he came back and said, well, I assume you're, you know, trying to catch a plane and all that. He said, but I just want to check. I'm not going to, you know, give you a ticket or anything. I just want to check to make sure it's abundantly clear that it's 30. I said, it is over and above abundantly clear, uh, beyond all that I could ask or think, you know. And uh, I was thinking, that's just in me to say, you know, it's just over and above. <laughs> I said, it's abundantly clear. <laughs> and so our God is, he's all about being over and above, exceeding our expectations. Amen. Uh, and, and that's what he wants for us. That's the kind of life that he wants us to live. And so I think that a lot of us, you know, think that and we see these scriptures that God, Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And I bless you in the city and I bless you in the field, bless you when you come and bless you when you go. And my blessings will overtake you. And we hear all of these scriptures and we see them all. And uh, somehow in our mind, uh, we get it that it's just uh, it's all about all miracles and all, you know, so super spiritual way out in the supernatural. God is a spirit. God does miracles. God is a miracle to me, you know, just thinking about him. So all of that is true. But how many know that you are you live in the kingdom of God? You are citizens of the kingdom of God right now. Right now you are. And, and you can and he gives us these practical ways just to walk. It's just it's in you to do. You don't have to wait for a miracle. I love miracles. I love miracles. 
But God is, I believe, bringing us to the point where we don't have to wait for a miracle to glorify him or wait for a miracle for an abundant life. We just live it. We just live it. We are walking miracles. If God's a miracle, so are we because he's in you. Amen. Second Peter chapter one. Let's begin at verse one. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, and it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, here, here, here he goes, grace and peace be what? Multiplied, it's all, that's what God's all about, multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given, not is going to give, not will one day give, but has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly, there's another word, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, because of this, because of all of this that I've just told you, Peter is saying, because of this very reason, giving all diligence, that means focus, it's our theme for this year, focus, giving all diligence, add to your faith. You already have faith. If you're if you have given the Lord your life and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. He does tell us to be baptized. You will be filled uh, with the Spirit. If you have done that, uh, then you have faith. He doesn't say add to your life faith. Add to your faith virtue. That's moral excellence. Add to your virtue knowledge, not just uh, worldly knowledge, but also spiritual knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. How many know we could use some self-control? Someone I know I could. And then to perseverance, and the one we're going to park on today, to perseverance, godliness. We'll get back to that. And he says, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Why? Why, Peter, are you telling us this? Because, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Some versions say never fall. Some say never fail. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we see with these eight keys is that he's telling us, you, to add them. He didn't say pray them. He didn't say hope them. He didn't say speak them. He said add them. And that requires some action from us. Remember this, that you add them. You is implied. You, he says, add. You must do something. You must do something. And we're talking this morning about victorious living because if you never fall, never fail, never stumble, I would call that a win. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I know Sister Sharon, you and I would. <laughs> we would call it a win. And so that's a victory. Well, we just to remind you, we, we talked about victory and what victory really means. 
not only does it mean that I won, but the definition of victory is simply the act of defeating an enemy. And so there is an enemy. Just another reminder uh, that often we try to fight against the enemy that's out there. We fight against Satan. Oh, Satan, he's our enemy. But guess what? The Bible says he's already defeated. What about the world? The world is just so crazy because of politics and economics and all of these things that are going on. We're fighting against the world. No, Jesus said, I have already overcome the world. I know what you see in the world. But he said, I already overcame the world. So then who are we fighting? Well, the kingdom of God is in you and the violent take it by force. So our number one enemy, I know you might not want to hear this. Those other things are your enemies. But your number one enemy, come on now, right here. If we can overcome this, we got 90% of the battle. Come on. We can overcome this flesh. We've got 90% of the battle. And that's why these things uh, that he tells us to add uh, up till now have to do with yourself. Right? You, uh, to your faith, add virtue, add moral excellence. Don't look at someone else to see if they're excellent or they're doing the right thing. What are they doing? What's the church doing with the money I gave them? Or what's, this, what's going on over here? Or what's that person I voted for doing? Listen, you're so worried about the other people and what they're doing. You, he's telling you, you need to add moral excellence. Yeah, I tell young people, be the change that you want to see. You be the change. Add moral excellence to yourself. <laughs> and then he, he goes on, he says, add uh, self-control, add knowledge. These are things to improve you so that you'll get a hold of this flesh, self-control. Add perseverance. You need to be able to make it through some storms. Every storm you're not going to go around. There are many, many storms that you've got to go through. You're not going to be able to go above it. You can't go under it. You can't avoid it. It, the, best way, the best way to get on the other side is to go right through it. You know, Jesus came to the disciples on the boat walking on the water in the storm. He wasn't floating on a cloud above the storm and then dropped down to the ship once he got on the other side of the storm. Come on now. He was walking on the water in the storm. And when he told Peter to come, he didn't say, well, take the boat around that way till you get around the cloud and then start walking on the water. No, he said, come right now. He had to get down out of the boat in the storm. Come on, somebody. And so there, we need some perseverance because there's some things we're going to have to get through. If we want the victory, the act of defeating an enemy, if we want the victory, there's some things we're going to have to get through. So he tells us, deal with yourself. I also want to remind you that we do have victory. But what do you have victory over? Those, here are some things I just jotted down. Uh, you have victory over the world. He, Jesus said, I already overcame the world. You have victory over temptation. Many times we succumb to it. I'll, I'll give you that. But you need to understand you have victory over it. Just because you did it doesn't mean you don't have victory over it. It just means you chose not to walk in the victory. We have victory over temptation. You have victory over sin. Not just tempted, but you went all the way and did it. <laughs> you can't blame anybody else. You have victory over worry and anxiety, fear, discord. Yes, things coming. I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you can. You have victory over that. And just because you failed yesterday, doesn't. this is a new day. You need to stand and look in the mirror and say, stop being anxious. Stop being anxious. I was anxious yesterday. Not today, Satan. Come on, somebody. Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> you have victory over depression. 
You have victory over sickness. You have victory over, and you can name uh, a million things. for You have victory over all of these things. And don't think just because the enemy throws them at you and sometimes you do fall, sometimes you do stumble, that you don't have the victory. God's already provided the victory. And so it's not on God, it's on us. That's why he's saying add to, add to your faith virtue and self-control and perseverance and knowledge. Add it. He's trying to tell us how to get and walk in this victory. And then he brings us to godliness. And I read this and I said, well, godliness, how, what, what does that mean? How do, you, how do you add godliness? Well, I just looked at the Greek word, ephsibia, to see what that actually means. What does godliness mean? And it literally means, one, reverence or devotion to God, but a godlike nature watch now, producing a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. That's what he wants you to add. God-like nature producing a practical, practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. Everything you do, everything you say, seems like a lot. I get it. I understand that. But why, why would you strive for something that's not that much, something that you can do? I mean, any sports team doesn't just strive to win half their games that year and they're satisfied. They want to go. Every team, when they start out the season, is zero and zero. We're all at the same place and we all want the same thing, the championship. And it doesn't matter what happened last year. And so strive for the best. Strive for perfection because that's where God wants to take you. Every aspect of life. I don't care what it is. Uh, not just your marriage, but also on your job. Right? Not just your family, but someone you just met in the grocery store, someone you're talking to, someone that cuts you off in traffic. Come on now. Every, it said every aspect. I'm just going by what it said. I'm not telling you what I do. I'm telling you what I want to do. Come on. Every aspect of life. And so we're, what we're talking about here is being made to be like God. Here's what we have to understand about godliness. I, I was thinking about this and I said, well, how, how, can, how can you, Lord, explain godliness to me? How could I explain that to someone else? Here's what, here's what God told me. He said, well, if you were creating God, not that you are, don't, you know, just calm down. But just in your mind, if you were, if you were making God, what attributes would you give him? What would he be like if you were making him? I don't know. What, what, what would he be like? Would he lie to you half the time? Would he tell little white lies? I mean, this is God now. God over the universe. Uh, I don't know that you would do that. Would he tell you that he's going to show up at a certain time and not come until an hour later? Was that the God that you would create? I don't know. I'm just... I think if it was me, I would create a God that would be on time. I would create a God that would be true to his word. Come on, somebody. And so when that translates to us, I'm not talking about you. I said us. Come on. When that translates to us, that's what we got to think about, the attributes of God. If we're going to be godly, if we're going to be God-like, if we're adding godliness, what type of attributes does God have? In fact, just tell me, what, what, what are some of God's attributes that you know? You could just yell it out. What are some attributes of God? What is it? meekness, kindness, faithful, what else? Patience, mercy. Mercy's an attribute. 
All of these things. What's that, Sister Patty? Loving. <laughs> Loving, come on. Oh, and you can name them all. All of these attributes now, think about yourself. Think about yourself. Mercy, kindness, loving, patient, faithful, right? Add to your perseverance godliness. That's why Peter's telling us this. Here's what we have to realize about godliness. First of all, you were made to be like God. And this is what many of us, many of us think about godliness and we say, well, you know, that was, you know, Jesus, that was him when Jesus walked the earth. He was Jesus. You know, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but actually, you were made to be like God. You were made in the image of God. Flip over to Genesis chapter 1. I know you've seen these scriptures, but I just want to tell you, it doesn't hurt to go back and look at them again. Come on. Look at them with, with fresh eyes. Look at them with an open heart. Look at them with open ears, with anointed ears, as we, as we prayed this morning. Flip over to Genesis chapter 1 or on your device. It should be easy. Just ask Siri. Give me Genesis chapter 1. She might take you there. I don't know. I don't know if they're, they're set that updated yet. I don't know what to tell you if you got a, uh, you know, what's the other one, the Kindle or the, if you don't have an iPhone, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you can ask Google. Take me to Genesis chapter 1. Maybe he'll take you there. He knows everything. Google. He's right under... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Google. That's what the world would have you believe. <laughs> Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Those are big words right there. In our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the air, over cattle, the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man, human, mankind, not males, man, humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And then if you drop down the verse, uh, I believe it's over in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. In other words, they was happy to be here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm naked. And I'm not ashamed. <laughs> because God created me in his image, in his likeness. You were, God created you to be like him. So just settle that in your heart. That's where you have to start. You know, when you think about adding godliness, don't think, well, that was Jesus. You know, come on, that was Jesus. You know, that was different. I mean, he turned water into wine. He cast out demons. He walked on water. I mean, that's because it was Jesus. This was Jesus, but he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit while he walked on the earth. Come on. And we can do all of those same things. <laughs> you were created to be like him. God's intent from the beginning was for us to be godlike or to have godliness. So adding godliness shouldn't be a strange thing to you. That's kind of strange, he would say, to add godliness. It shouldn't be something that's out of the ordinary for us. It was something that we had at one time. Come on. When he created us and breathed the breath of life in us, we were godly. We had godliness. Come on. Without even doing anything for it. But then at some point, we kind of got knocked off kilter. <laughs> Not that we necessarily lost uh, godliness as it were but we got knocked off kilter flip over to chapter 2 of Genesis next thing we need to recognize is sin 
separated us from God. We know that. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 said, But of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely what? Die. That's separate. That's a spirit man. That God-like nature. Sin then came in and separated us. So at that point, man was dead to God. The real you I'm talking about. Though the physical body was alive and the essence of who he is was dead to God. That God-like nature separated from God. But at that moment, at that moment, don't you know that God already knew that that was going to happen? And so he made provision. God made provision for us to be reconciled to him. And so the third thing, you need to understand that God has reconciled us back to him. You're back. <laughs> you've given your life to the Lord, you're back. Listen to these scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. You have to turn there. You don't have to turn there. Now all things are of God who has reconciled, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God uh, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and had committed to us the word of reconciliation. Listen to what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He said, for if when we were enemies, that we were separated, and to be separated from God is to be an enemy with God. See, there, there's no, you're either there or here. There's no middle ground with God. Well, I kind of like him. He's okay with me. I try to do things right. No, you're either for him or against him. It's the hard truth. And so while we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Then he told the church at Coloss, Colossians 1, 20, he said, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You think God is trying to tell us something here? He made us like him. First, he thought about it because he made a statement in Genesis 1.26. He said, let us make man in our own image. To make a statement like that, first you think about it. Hmm, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what, let us make man in our own image. That's why David said in Psalms that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He thought about you when he made you. God is for you. He's not against you. God thought about you when he formed you and made you and blew the breath of life, breathed the breath of life, the pneuma in your body, and you came alive. He thought about you. And then when you turned your back on God, man turned his back on God, God said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm making a way for you to come back and be reconciled. You think he's trying to tell us something? You think that that's love? I think that's love. He's trying to tell us that he made us from the beginning to be like him. And even if we try to not be like him, he's going to say, come back here. In other words, like my mama used to say, don't you run from me. <laughs> come back. He's going to come get you. And he created us for godliness. So it's not a strange thing. He created you for it. However, although we're created for godliness, it doesn't mean that all of us act godly all the time. Come on. 
we see that Peter tells us to add godliness to our arsenal. Add godliness. Godliness doesn't come natural to us even if we belong to God. Why? Because we still are in this fallen flesh. If we allow the flesh to take over, godliness won't come natural to you. Listen to 2 Timothy. In fact, turn over to 2 Timothy if you would. I'm kind of having you flip this morning. It's not on the board, so you have to find it on your device or turn over in your paper Bible or just trust me that what I'm telling you is right. If you can't read it for yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what Paul told his son Timothy. He said, chapter 3 verse 1, he said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I know you're probably saying it sounds like somebody in your family. Easy now, don't. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power or denying the power thereof, the King James says. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Here's what it is. It's one thing to show God-like qualities. Well, he's a nice guy. She seems like a kind person. She, 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 she encourages when she talks. She uh, loaned me some money. He did this. She did that. It's one thing to have to, to exude or express godlike qualities, but it's another thing to have a godlike nature. See, it's a heart issue is what we're talking about. We're not just talking about actions, but we're talking about the heart. And I think you can tell the difference sometimes. It's a little thing called authenticity. Can you ever tell when somebody's not authentic, even though they're being nice to you, even though they say nice things to you, even though they uh, may seem like they're not selfish, but really they're self-centered? Come on. It's one thing to show God-like qualities, but it's another to have a godly nature. And that's what Peter is telling us when he says, add godliness, add the godly nature in you. So it's not even a second thought when you want to do things. You don't have to determine in your mind, hey, I am going to be nice today. When we can add godliness, you may have to do that at first. If you don't have godliness, do that. Wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be nice today. But he's saying, add godliness, so when you wake up in the morning, you're already nice because you already have godliness. It's your nature. It's who you are. And because it's who you are, it's what you do. It's not what you do to become who you are. Come on. He's telling you, add godliness. Why? Let me just tell you, give you three things, we'll be done, about God-like qualities. So much to say about this subject. But first of all, godliness will help you in every area of your life. That, he, that's what he told us. Listen, uh, every aspect of your life, think about God. Acknowledge him. Why? Because it will help you in every area of your life. It'll help you in every area. It, you know what? Not only will godliness help you when you struggle, 
Not only will godliness help you in an interview, not only will godliness help you on your test at school that you have to take, not only will godliness help you in a marriage that's troubled, not only will godliness help you uh, with a family member or a boss, but godliness will help you when you go out to the lake and have fun. Godly will help you, godliness will help you when you're on the golf course, godliness will help you when you go shopping, come on somebody. Godliness will help you when you're driving down the street. Godliness will help you when you're at home watching your favorite TV show. It said every aspect of your life. Come on. Godliness will help you when you're doing nothing. <laughs> Godliness will help you in every aspect, in every area of your life. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, but reject profane and old wives' tales. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. Don't think that means you don't need to do bodily exercise. Come on, we don't have time to deal with that today. But don't, don't think that just, oh, there you go, I don't have to exercise. Yes, you do. But godliness is profitable for all things. First Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. Profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness is profitable for all things. It'll help you in every area of your life. That's why you want to add it. And then secondly, godliness should be pursued. You know, isn't it interesting the order that Peter puts these, uh, eight, uh, these eight keys in when he says you already have faith and he wants you to add to your faith virtue. And he wants to add uh, to your virtue self-control. And he wants to add to your knowledge. He wants to add to your knowledge self-control. And he wants you to add to your self-control perseverance. And then add godliness. Isn't it interesting? I wonder why that is. I wonder if there's a reason for that. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We are to pursue it. We, we see where we are to add godliness to perseverance. Why? Because in order to stay godly, you've got to have some patience. In order to stay godly, you've got to be able to persevere. Uh, because, you know, it's like you could say, well, I've added godliness and I have this godlike nature. So somebody talks about me and uh, you're able to withstand it. And you say, oh, great, I'm so godly. But guess what? That's not how the world works. Because they'll talk about you once. You can withstand it. They're going to talk about you again. And then when you withstand that, they're going to talk about you a third time. And then when you're able to withstand that, they come back the next day and talk about you again. Come on now. How many of us at some point huh, will say, you know what, uh, that's enough. One more time. Talk about me one more time. Come on now. At least we feel like that. Some of us really can't fight that well. But I know, you know, our, how, how much capacity do you have uh, for long-suffering? How much capacity do you have? Are you, I've had it up to here. You ever heard that? I have had it up to here. Well, what you going to do now? You're going to throw off your godliness? <laughs> godliness takes some patience now. Come on. And we were talking about real godliness. Godliness takes some perseverance. That's why he said, add to your perseverance godliness. First, get some perseverance. First, be able to make it through some things. <laughs> and then add godliness. 
Therefore, it must be pursued. And the reason is you've got to be able to persevere. And the reason you've got to be able to persevere is the last one, and that is this. Godliness brings opposition. Godliness will bring opposition, folks. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. Listen to it in the New Living Version. It says, yes, all who want to live a godlike life who belong to Christ Jesus will suffer from others. Others are going to talk about you. And then in the Living Bible, it puts it this way. It says, yes, and those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those, watch this now, watch how this version puts it. You'll suffer at the hands of those who hate him. Not those who necessarily hate you, but those who hate God. Because you say that God is my God, they're going to make you suffer persecution. Those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those that hate him. And to most you would say, well, that's kind of discouraging. But I want to tell you this morning that it's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that somebody somewhere hates God enough that they would even come after me. And that tells me that I must be trying to live like God. Come on. And at the end of the day, we can understand that God is for you and not against you. He's already overcome the world. You have the victory. Come on. It says that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you have the ability, you have the power, and you have the authority to overcome all of these things if you will add these things to your arsenal.